Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.54 a.m. Central Daylight Time. God, that's the 12th of March, 2020. This is episode 115 of Bitcoin. <laughs> Corona. Oh, let's see if I can get through this one, bro. We'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to start right up with some community news. Yesterday, I told you about Bitcoin Lessons. That's Bitcoin Lessons underscore on Twitter or, well, at Bitcoin Lessons underscore on Twitter. Okay, there you go. I'm not thinking too well. <clears throat> Corona's got me down, bro. Uh, they have come back today, sometime this morning they were writing on Twitter, and they said that, you know, well, so Bitcoin isn't having a good day, but a little silver lining is that South America is leading the way for Bitcoin lesson downloads for Android. Venezuela being our number two country is super encouraging. Even in crazy times like today, people are learning about Bitcoin, and they've provided a nice little screenshot that shows apparently the amount of people that are taking part in their Bitcoin lessons. And Mexico is top in the list. Uh, Venezuela is right below, Argentina below that, uh, Colombia, and then Peru. So those are like, apparently, according to this, uh, these percentages are the new uh, new users acquired in, in these particular countries. So 24 new, 24% of their new user base apparently came from Mexico, 16% came from Venezuela, 12% came from Argentina, yeah, that, that type of thing. So it's, that's good. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that people are starting to uh, use, this, use this particular service. Um, we, you know, we need more of this kind of stuff. So if you want to go check out Bitcoin Lessons, you can go out and check out Bitcoin Lessons at BitcoinLessons.org. Also at BitcoinLessons underscore on Twitter. Moving on, we have uh, something that's not not related to, to Bitcoin, but I w- kind of wanted to showcase it anyway. Uh, Matt underscore Sherman, MattSherman.com, and Matt is spelled M-A-T underscore Sherman, S-H-E-R-M-A-N. Uh, says, if your kids' schools are shut down, but you still want them to get an education, we created a guide to help you set up a micro school in your home. It's on Product Hunt today. Check it out here. And then they give the Product Hunt uh, link. But I'm not going to talk about or I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to uh, microschooled.com. That's microschooled.com. They got schooled, bro. Uh, and I just want to read you this with a couple little paragraphs here. This is the who are we, why should you trust us part. Uh, and this is apparently the company's name is Prenda. And it says Prenda is a startup based out of Arizona. 
We have been operating for a little over two years and have created over 100 micro schools. As a startup funded by Y Combinator, we are intimate with the opportunities that technology poses to help improve our educational system for the better. We want to help evangelize this vision in times of crisis like what we have today. In Arizona, we partner with schools to provide micro schools at no cost to parents. Again, no cost to parents, according to these guys. Prenda is not currently operating in other states, so this effort is simply for sake of educating the world that they can control their kids' education even if schools are shut down. In other words, we will not be making an ask of you. There is no form to fill out or account to make or money to spend. I'm going to stop right there. That last one, you're going to kind of need to spend money. You know, pencils, paper. Okay, so, yeah, but I think they're what they really mean is that you don't give these guys money. Just saying. Continuing. There is just a Google Doc that includes our framework on how we think education could be. It's now up to you to take that and run however you want to. If you have questions about how best to make this happen for your community, please email me and I will, will respond when I can. He gives his email at mat at prenda.co. And I'll read you this one other thing about their definition of what a micro school is. A micro school is a self-organized group of parents and kids who form an educational unit together. This usually takes place in the home of the teacher or guide. So this seems to be some kind of cross between homeschooling and a larger school system, whether it be private, public, whatever. Uh, but I like the whole term micro school. And I was going over their document when he says, uh, Matt says, there is just a Google Doc that includes our framework of how we think education could be. It's sort of like, I was reading through it and it's sort of like a little, man, uh, kind of like a manual. Uh, it's not as, oh, uh, how to say, it's not all that strict, but it does give you the ideas of how to uh, crank one of these things up. So if you're somebody, and believe me, you probably you very well may be affected by this whole thing with schools. Uh, I just found out today that my alma mater, Texas Tech University, as of this morning, has moved the entire contingent of classes online. The campus is shut down. Does that necessarily mean that all the uh, research stuff is shut down? Hell, I don't know. But as far as like, if you're just a little freshman and you're just bouncing, little Teddy, just bouncing around the campus or whatever. Go home because there ain't no classes. Uh, apparently, this either starts today or tomorrow, but you're talking about a school with close to 40,000 students. It's one of the larger public institutions in the, in the state of Texas, and they just said, you know what? We ain't doing this. All right. So if whole colleges are, are, are doing this now, you can bet that public schools may very well start, start falling in line. And if you're concerned about this, uh, you can tr give microschooled.com, uh, you know, give it a go. Uh, they'll apparently they give you as much of the uh, information that you need. Uh, the only problem here is that it is dependent on students having laptops. And I don't know how to get around that. You know, I, you know, I can like go, oh, well, gee, you know, now that now it's out of reach at, you know, for everybody, because who, you know, who's going to just throw laptops at a whole bunch of, you know, eight-year-olds and stuff. I get that. However, if you can make it work, may, or, or maybe there's a way, maybe there's a workaround. I don't know. Anyway, it's microschooled.com. 
And I just thought I'd let you know about that before we get into the bloodbath, the absolute bloodbath, and everybody's affected. We'll get into that into the vitals, but for now, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about gaming. Uh, I was able to finally, <laughs> finally. Uh, able to do one of the tenets of this particular podcast, which is bringing you stuff that is on the edge uh, for, of Bitcoin. Other things that either can benefit from rubbing up against the edge of Bitcoin or just fully integrating it. Gaming is one of those. And yesterday I was able to give you guys a couple of instances where that thing is occurring. And now there's even more today. I think uh, this is, for me, it's good news, except for the fact of shit coinery. And I, I don't I don't know how to cover gaming and Bitcoin without talking about shit coinery. So here's the caveat. I don't like shit coinery. I think it's a bad idea. I don't think you should engage in it. If you do, it is solely by your choice. I get that. Okay. But I don't like it. I don't think there's any reason for for 99.9% of this space could go away tomorrow and I literally wouldn't give a shit. I find nothing appeasing at all. But apparently people in gaming, and I kind of expected more from them because they've been, they've been in, I don't the the mind space of this kind of development, I would have thought would kind of turn them into a situation where they're like, oh, we, we've we seen this kind of crap before. This whole shit coinery game, yeah, we've seen this in, in several different other things, but alas, this is not the case. Uh, gaming right now is all about shit coining, so don't get all disparaged because I'm going to be talking about shit coining. Understand, I think they're making a mistake. And I think games that integrate a proper, secure system that would be Bitcoin is going to prevail in the end. As to how long that shit takes, I don't know. How long does any of this stuff take? You know, we've been, <laughs> especially after the bloodbath, the bloodbath I woke up to this morning was damned scary, although rather exhilarating. Honestly, I haven't seen anything like this in a while. And I was like surprised that it didn't make me, you know, it, the gut check that I had this morning returned to me good feelings and excitement for the future. I'm probably sick and delusional, but that's the way that, that I felt about it. When I saw sub 6,000, I was like, I, I should feel horrible, but yet I don't. I feel rather excited. I don't know if it's because it's like a return to old times and I'm getting nostalgia. You know, it's like bringing back the nostalgia of of seeing these fall off a cliff dips. I don't know, but I'm not. If you're thinking if if you're wondering if I'm worried, I'm not worried. This I've seen this way too many times. However, this is the first time that I've seen it in conjunction with the rest of the markets falling off the cliff. Oil, gold, all of the indices, bonds, everything is slaughtered. There's so much blood in the street, you're going to need a freaking canoe to get to the other side. It's disgusting. But let's let's go ahead and get into the gaming aspect of this shit coinery as it is. This crypto game wants to... <laughs> I forgot. This, be prepared. Cringe. Okay, cringe is on the way, and it ain't just about shit coinery. This crypto game wants you 
to build a deadlier coronavirus. The ghoulish multiplayer app is intended to teach people about pathogens. Oh, yay, but it's education, so that's great. Amy Castor, <coughs> excuse me, Corona, is writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. CoronaCoin, the morbid blockchain project that allows you to bet on the new coronavirus ec- epidemic, is now working on a ghoulish multiplayer game. The theme? Create your own pathogen and unleash it on as many countries as possible. Naturally, the game will require NCOV, the platform's native token, to play. Sonny Kemp, a pseudonymous developer for the project who chatted with Decrypt via Telegram, described the game as a cross between the board game Risk and the mobile game Plague Incorporated, or Plague Inc., where you create and evolve a pathogen in an effort to annihilate the human race, only it's on the blockchain. Yep, you guessed it. Uh, He told us that the inspiration for the game, which is tentatively being titled Plague ETH, oh, what a wonderful name, because Ethereum is very much a freaking plague, so kudos, dude, and will run on the Ethereum blockchain came from the hugely popular virtual cats game, CryptoKitties. We thought, what if we could allow players to engineer their own virus instead of cats? God, some of these people, I swear. How it works, the entire planet is a game board. Players who compete in virtual rooms take turns infecting countries with the viruses they create. This game features multiple rounds, and the player that infects the least number of people is knocked out each round, while the winner gets all of the other players' corona coins. Before you think the whole idea is too grim, there is actually an educational component here. Wiping out as many people as possible requires you to know a thing or two about pathogens, i.e. how they spread, how they react to temperature, their infection and death rates, and so on. The rate of infection and severity of the virus is dependent upon how you engineer the virus, Kemp said. The team even went so far as to consult with a biomedical researcher to ensure the game's accuracy. Quote, so if you have a virus that does not spread well in cold weather and you start the game in Sweden, you aren't going to progress very far. Kemp anticipates the game will be finished in two to three weeks with beta testing before then. Seven programmers, all anonymous, but working mainly from Europe, are working on the project. The back end is mostly done, he said. Now they are working on the front end and the artwork. One of the drawbacks with popular games on Ethereum is they tend to clog up the network. We'll get into more of that in a little bit. Hold on. At its height of its popularity in 2017, CryptoKitties created a six-fold increase in total network requests, slowing the entire blockchain. Kemp isn't too concerned about that, though. Quote, We are optimistic about Ethereum scaling. Uh, There are several solutions being worked on. He pointed to proof of stake and sharding as examples. God, new to the game, huh, bro? A recent project, CoronaCoin, (coughs) sorry, Corona, uh, launched last month. When the novel coronavirus stepped up its lethal spread around the world, there is no vaccine, and as of now, as of now, 100 countries have been infected with the deadly virus. That daily virus. Your daily virus. I should do that. Whatever. The platform's token NCOV, N-C-O-V, started with a circulating supply of 7.6 billion based on the world's population. Tokens are burned once every two days based on the number of people around the globe that have been infected with COVID-19 or have died of the virus. 
About half of those tokens were distributed in an airdrop, Kemp said. As for the other 3.6 billion NCOV, 20% has been put aside for donations, while the remaining 30% is intended for development, bounties, airdrops, liquidity, and burns, bro. Every month, the project also sells NCOV for ETH for monthly Red Cross donations. It also uses some of its supply for bug bounties and for things like artwork for the game and marketing. As of press time, the project has burned 125,000 coins to date, putting a tiny dent in the total supply. And oddly, instead of going up, the price of the coin has actually plummeted nearly 90% in the last 14 days, according to CoinGecko. Many of these details were up on the project's website at coronatoken.org, but as of now, the website has been suspended. Kemp told us the project is having trouble with its host. I wonder why, but they're in talks to remedy the problem. In the meantime, the, the, the team has launched a backup site, coronatoken.net. Let's just hope the project's multiplayer game encourages people to wash their hands. Uh, I'm telling you, man, it is morbid, it is sick, and the leveraging of the so-called educational component, that's not enough for me in this particular case. The, the whole thing is rather reprehensible, but it's going to happen. You're talking about the human condition. You're talking about human beings here. What did you think was going to happen? That we were all actually going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya? I'm telling you, man, my, my inventory of bridges is overflowing at this point. But before we leave this story, because it is about coronavirus, I do want to posit one possible thing here. It has nothing to do with anything but the whole coronavirus I have heard, and I do not know if it is 100% true, that this substance, it's a compound called chloroquine, C-H-L-O-R-O-Q-U-I-N-E. Chloroquine is considered effective as an antiviral. That does not mean vaccine. It just means that it's viruses in your body come into contact with this compound they don't like it all that much. Well, chloroquine is used as an antiviral or is, is a drug against malaria, okay? And apparently it's been around for quite a while. Now, here's what I'm getting at is that it's built on the molecule quinine. The, the whole class of chloroquinine or chloroquines is built on quinine. Quinine has been around for, I don't know, over a century, maybe two. The uh, famous drink gin and tonic was made, was popularized in India by the British when they, when India was under British rule and they were keeping garrisons out there, they kept getting sick of malaria, figured out finally that apparently quinine uh, does a fair, a fair good job of keeping you guarded against malaria when you're down there in India, stomping all over the, keeping your boots on the necks of all the uh, Indian people while they were, you know, doing their business down there. In either event, what am I getting at? Quinine is basically found in tonic water, not soda. We're not talking about club soda here. We're talking about tonic water. Uh, most of the tonic waters that are on the shelf right now still have quinine in them. So while all the other people are stocking up on regular water, consider buying a shit ton of Canada dry tonic water 
And I'm so going to go long Canada Dry today that it's not even funny. So you guys buy. I'll chill out and rake in the profits on this absolutely morbid shit that is right in line with the whole coronavirus game. Corona coin. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I'm telling you, man. Carlos, you said it. You said it the best. All right. Continuing on with gaming. Farmville developer gets into blockchain gaming. Farmville developer Eric Schirmeyer has created a decentralized gaming platform intended to harness the capabilities of shitchain technology. This is Will, Will Heisman. He's writing sometime yesterday for Decrypt.co. Gaming company Zynga is building a blockchain-based infrastructure known as the Gala Network. It will enable developers to devise new games and allow players to possess their in-game content, taking items from one game to another. Zynga has created a number of social media game successes, the most famous being Farmville, which reached global hype on Facebook. Eric Schirmeyer, or Schirrenmeyer, whatever, co-founder of Zynga, is hoping that the Gala Network will harness both the immutability of the blockchain and the utility of cryptocurrencies. Quote, it's going to be a revolutionary experience for people, Schirmeyer said, speaking to VentureBeat. Unlike any other experience I've ever seen, when you spend money here, you actually get something. Something you can keep. Oh, it hurts. And maybe even give away or give some to somebody else. All oh, the pain. Uh, you can't do that with traditional free-to-play games right now. Dude, the hype. I'm telling you, man, be careful out there. Blockchain Game Partners, the company behind Shearmeyer's grand plan, has also teamed up with Mike McCarthy, the creative director of Farmville 2. McCarthy is currently working on a blockchain game known as Townstar, which will be built on the Gala Network. It radiates many of the properties Shearmeyer in intends to introduce in his own lineup. Townstar permits players to truly own the items they purchase or produce, facilitating secure buying, selling, and trading via a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. These in-game items embody a true level of scarcity because they're digitally unique. They are similar to CryptoKitties, an Ethereum-based game that went viral in late 2017. With digital uniqueness imbued into the token, players are able to sell their items for real-world cash. <clears throat> Quote, just like network games and social games, I believe that blockchain games are the next evolution in gaming. Shermeyer opines. Also continuing the quote, pretty soon nobody will play a game that is a black hole of time and money. If they have good alternatives that allow the player to retain ownership of their time and money. Thanks to this ability to tokenize in-game items and provide genuine value to players, gaming is cited as one of the tipping points for blockchain mass adoption. However, Schirmeyer doesn't want, just want to levy the popularity of blockchain gaming. Instead, he intends to build games that stand on their own merits. Quote, we want to be first with a real mass market game that is a game first and blockchain a distant second. Okay, so at least there's some, you know, hope here because they're still thinking of gaming developers still need to be thinking along the same guidelines always that it's the game first, the player's experience first. Everything needs to be about those things. Everything else is all bullshit. How your market for rare items works, I don't care. How all the rest of it works, I don't care. How many, you know, how, how things are, are arranged. If it doesn't have anything to do with gameplay or the player experience, I don't give a shit. It's, it will, is it has things to do with the with player experience as long as that experience is fun for the gamer, because otherwise you just need to pack up and go home. But again, 
gaming coming everywhere. And the last one that I think I have for gaming is Cannabis Game. Reverse auction loans join Berkeley Blockchain Accelerator. This is Cointelegraph Samuel Haig writing sometime this morning. The University of California, Berkeley has announced the 17 latest startups to be accepted into its Blockchain Accelerator program. They include a cannabis-themed mass multiplayer online game and a reverse auction loan platform. Entry into the Incubator Spring 2020 cohort was highly competitive with just 12% of the 140 startups who applied being successful. The Accelerator is a collaboration between Berkeley Engineering's Sutarchta Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, the Blockchain at Berkeley Student Group, and the Haas School of Business. Among the most novel startups is NugBase, an Ethereum... I told you, it's the cringe, bro. An Ethereum-based cannabis farming MMO with more than a 1,000 current users. NugBase's website states, users collect flower cards that can be raised in their virtual environment and that users can be rewarded in real cannabis. That's just going to be problematic, at least right now. The incubator also welcomed Calypso, a reverse reverse auction platform. <clears throat> a reverse auction platform that seeks to drive greater competition within the loan market by creating a marketplace where lenders bid on loan proposals prepared by borrowers. Other successful startups include Artera, which is creating non-fungible token platform that seeks to drive engagement between esports, sporting entities and their fans, digital asset custody and payment platforms Finoa, as well as Snowball Money, which is creating investment automation software. UC Berkeley launched its blockchain accelerator at the end of January 2019 and onboarded a second cohort during October of 2019 last month. Anchain, a blockchain analytics firm from the first cohort, secured three point or four point three million dollars in a pre-A funding round, co-led by Susquehanna International Group and Amino Capital. So, uh, gaming is going to blow up here. They're just going down the. In my opinion, it's just my opinion. They're going down the wrong the wrong hole. Uh, I don't really know, you know, how else to say it. Except for, I'm not all that, I'm just not upset, okay? Because gaming is going to be the se- our second leg into onboarding. It really is. I wholeheartedly believe that. If you disagree, that's cool, man. I, I get that. It's just that I can't see anything else with the mass audience that gaming has that can come close to what gaming would be able to do Again, it's up to us to make sure that these people understand that, you know, if they're going to if they're going to be uh, uh, spending their time doing this shit for the Ethereum blockchain, they probably might want to think twice about that. I just don't see Ethereum going anywhere. And yeah, well, like I said, we'll get into some other Ethereum problems here in a second. That So we'll come back to, to bite to get that. All right. Continuing how to buy your coronavirus supplies with Bitcoin. I'm throwing this in here just so that you know what the hell people are actually worried about. It's becoming <coughs> Corona. Uh, I might have to might have to hit these people up myself. You'll you'll understand what I mean by that in here in a second. But the hysteria has just is it's getting so bad. I I don't know, man. We guys stop. 
That doesn't mean don't worry about it or don't be careful. It's just don't buy in to the panic, okay? It's, it's We've gone way past hype. We are square. We are squarely on the other side of full-blown panic. That's not healthy. Panicking about anything, making panic decisions about anything is not healthy. Should you sell everything that you own because everybody else is selling everything that they own today? No, probably not. Chill, bro, chill. That doesn't mean run right out and go find the largest mass of people and start touching their goddamn face. It just means chill, bro. But if you are going to chill at home, I don't know, maybe this will help. With supermarkets rationing key products to curb panic buying in the face of the coronavirus, we wondered, can you stock up using Bitcoin? And the answer is yes, you can. Stephen Graves, writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday, As the coronavirus sweeps the world, countries are resorting to drastic measures to halt its spread. China and Italy have imposed lockdowns. Those showing symptoms are being encouraged to self-isolate. And supermarkets are facing shortages as shoppers ignore government advice not to panic buy. Again, panic, panic, panic. Fortunately, there are plenty of other places to stock up on essential supplies using your hard-earned Bitcoin. One, toilet paper. Seriously, it's top of the list, man. In supermarkets across the globe, the shelves have been emptied of toilet paper. This is actually not true, but whatever. Retailers in the United States, Canada, and the UK have had to limit purchases. Fortunately, Newegg.com has your back with this 24-pack of the finest two-ply. Each roll is 573 feet long, giving you a generous 13,000 foot of paper to work with. Crypto fans can pay in Bitcoin or Bcash. Are you really going to separate yourself from your Bitcoin for toilet paper? Because I guarantee you, when all this shit is, is blown over, you're going to die from grief because you were able to wipe your ass and now you got nothing left but a toilet paper fort. Okay, face masks are essential for medical personnel as they battle the coronavirus, but this hasn't stopped the public stocking up, even as health officials plead with them not to purchase them. With supplies running short in East Asia, one enterprising business owner recently used Bitcoin to purchase a bulk order of face masks from Russian medical wholesale supplier Phoenix Group, paying in Bitcoin. The transaction took 30 minutes with a transfer fee of $10. In addition to challenging logistics issues, organizations and institutions occupied in face mask import encountered the challenge of international money transfers. Bitcoin is to break the deadlock once again, the company said in a statement, uh, hand sanitizers that you apparently can get those from, oh, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, my, my screen jumped on me for a second. Hand sanitizer is particularly in short supply at the moment with UK supermarkets forced to ration supplies in the United States. New York State is making its own supply to meet demand. While hand sanitizer is out of stock everywhere. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Coronavirus. <clears throat> You could try making your own by mixing isopropyl alcohol and aloe vera gel, both of which can be had from Overstock.com. Overstock accepts Bitcoin for both domestic U.S. and international orders. It's a good idea. Also consider Everclear. If if the uh, pharmacies and other places you get isopropyl, because I can see it happening, I can see a run on isopropyl, always remember, go down to the liquor store, get yourself Everclear. The shit's 95 proof. It's 90% pure alcohol. You don't need anything more. And always remember, 
pure alcohol does a worse job at disaffecting sur- uh, surfaces than 70% alcohol. So however you want to do the math, make sure that you've got 70% alcohol and 30% water. That actually works the best. Flat alcohol actually somehow or another doesn't really work all that well. And I think it has something to do with the fact that since there's no water, the organism that you're trying to kill doesn't really come into contact with the alcohol at the level that you think that that it is. Uh, and we won't get into why that is, but yeah, 70% alcohol, 30% clean water, Everclear is 95 proof or 90% pure alcohol. It's fine. It'll work. Okay. So if, if you're needing isopropyl alcohol and you can't find it, just pop on down to the liquor store and go get yourself a case of Everclear. Of course, soap is still the recommended go-to for a touch of class. You could try gourmet soap manufacturer Lush, which accepts Bitcoin, or show your allegiance to your crypto of choice with BitSoaps, which come emblazoned with Bitcoin, Lightning, and Ethereum icons. Oh my God, that's hilarious. If you're forced to self-isolate, heading down to the supermarket for canned food isn't an option. Know what you need are MREs, the all-in-one military ration packs beloved for survivalists and doomsday preppers. They've got more calories than you could possibly need, enough for a route march carrying a massive pack, never mind sitting in your room playing Call of Duty. And yes, there are stores online that will accept your Bitcoin. Survival Camping Store will hook you up with a case of 12 MREs, including such delights as meatloaf with gravy, sloppy joes, and vegetable lasagna. And you get a 5% discount for buying with Bitcoin. Lolly and Fold, you guys need to totally get in on this shit, bro. That's going to do it for part one of the snooze you can use. All right, vital statistics. Uh, If you need a vital kick in the ass, this is about to give it to you. Major indices, this is brought to you by CNBC. They'd probably sue the shit out of me if they cared, but whatever. S&P 500 is down uh, 7.7.5 points. Uh, No, actually, let's just go ahead and say it like it is. 7.5% is 205 points. NASDAQ is down 7.35%. The Dow Jones is down 8%, people. That is a point loss of 1890 Oh, God, dude, it's a bloodbath. The FTSE is down 10%. The Nikkei is down 4.5%. HSI is down 3 Shanghai Index is down 1.5%. The VIX, however, if you're long VIX, man, clean it up, man. It's last was 67.01 with a change of 13.11. That represents a 25% change to the upside bonds look like, I don't know. Well, the U.S. 30-year actually has got a bump. 0.064 is its change, and it is sitting at 1.37 on the yield. Otherwise, everything is below 1%, of course, except for the German Bund, which is even worse than that. You pay, apparently, for the pleasure of owning a, a German Bund. 10-year is at negative 0.73. Japan, 10-year is at negative 0.063. Futures are just getting wiped out. Uh, Oil is down 6.25%. Natural gas is down 2.5%. 
Peter Schiff's favorite pet rock is down four and a quarter percent. It's down 70 bucks, man, to 15.72. I'm telling you, everything is getting hit, okay? Everything is getting hit. It's just the, the floor is being wiped clean. So getting into the bloodbath that is our own little neck of the woods, Bitcoin from bitinfocharts.com is showing 6,097. Its low is going to be 6,029, while its high is going to be 6,109 over at Bitfinex. Uh, 330 transactions have been made, or 330,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, representing 14,000 transactions per hour on average. 2.6 million BTC has been sent in that period. 2.6. We've been sucking swamp water at sub 1 million BTC. And all of a sudden we are at 2.6 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 108,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being 7.89 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.056 BTC or right around 350 bucks. Block time amazingly stable at this moment, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. 0.33 0.33 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis with, oh my God, 46 and a quarter BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had a 6.75% drop in the hash rate, bringing us all the way down to 101.5 exahashes per second. And the last time nobody did dick on Bitcoin was sometime yesterday. Ethereum at, oh God, 138.6. Bcash at 174, Litecoin at 34, BSV at 119, Ethereum Classic at 4.5, Doge at 0.0018. I don't remember the last time I saw Doge this low. However, at 25,000 transactions made in the last 24 hours on the Doge network, it is wiping the floor with Bcash. But amazingly, it is not beating Litecoin today. Litecoin has thir- uh, 25,433 transactions, uh, which means that both of them are kicking the living crap out of Roger Ver's uh, his shit chain. And we'll hear from Roger again later on today. Let's see what my node BTC. Oh, oh, yeah. Update. Um, like I, I got to plug the guys over at my node. Okay. And I've got to do it in a way that's going to embarrass myself. However, I feel the need not to put myself on the railroad tracks for today's daily train wreck. That will be somebody who you, you know, and love anyway, but, um, I should be the train wreck because <laughs> I decided to upgrade my community edition, my node to the premium edition. This is where you buy, you basically spend $99 and it's just the software with premium support. And it's <clears throat> it's the way to go. I mean, because if, if you're not, I think it's a good idea to get into like building your own node insofar as getting the Raspberry Pi, figuring out how to put it into a case, figuring out how to get the pins that you need to be able to fire up the, the cooling fan and how to put it all together, all that kind of, I think because I, Everybody laughs at the Raspberry Pi. When I look at the Raspberry Pi, I see, I I was about to say I see the future, but it's not really that. I see something incredible. 
and I, I see like an Arduino and a Raspberry Pi and the M5 stack, and I see apps. I don't. It's not. I don't know how to describe it. There's something there, and I think it's a good idea to get used to learning how to to work with the hardware. So I bought my own Raspberry Pi four, but it's okay. It's flash the the you know learned how to flash the SD card. I already knew knew how to do that and all the, you know most of the stuff. But if you are putting together a node, I think it's a good way. I think a good way to do it is to go with my node and and have a hybrid system where you're kind of hands-on with the uh, flashing and the setting up of the actual hardware unit and all that kind of stuff, but let the hardcore uh, software stuff come from somebody like MyNode. So anyway, I upgraded my community edition yesterday to uh, the premium edition. However, when I bought it, I did so on my phone, on the Brave browser, in incognito mode. And if you're already laughing at me, I, I probably deserve it. I actually, I'm pretty sure I deserve it. <laughs> what am I going to do, man? What am I going to do? Um, <coughs> Corona. Uh, however, as you can imagine, I ran into a snafu. I think it was, be I'm pretty sure it was because it was incognito. It was also on my phone. I should have done it in a completely different way. But the way that I did it is I just, uh, I bought some, uh, some Bitcoin on my cash app and withdrew from Cash App directly to the uh, the uh, Bitcoin uh, address that I was provided by the guys over at MyNode. No, I did not use Lightning. I was just going to go ahead and do on-chain. So immediately bought, a, you know, like 100 bucks worth of uh, Bitcoin on uh, Cash App and then immediately withdrew it directly to the wallet address that they gave me. And then everything just like kind of locked up. Next thing I know, I'm looking at my phone like 10 minutes later trying to figure out what the hell's going on because I didn't get a... I didn't get an email with my product key or any anything. It was like a black, it's like I sent my Bitcoin into a black hole, right? That's what it felt like. But I'm like, I know that these guys are going to clear this up. So I sent them a, or well, rather I, I saw this one particular screen on my phone after a while and it said, this address has expired. And I'm like, oh shit, we are definitely in black hole territory at this point. So I <clears throat> DM'd the guys over at MyNode. And they got back to me within a couple of hours and said, yeah, I'm not seeing an open order. And I'm like, ah, oh, God. So I sent them screenshots of, of my withdrawal screen from my cash app, which was the exact same amount of Bitcoin as the Bitcoin uh, address that they gave. They, they were wanting for the Bitcoin address and the addresses locked up or, you know, matched up. So I figured that between those two screenshots that they figure out that I wasn't, that I at least wasn't lying through my teeth at them. Right. Well, they got, I, I finally, I just waited. I just, you know, I can be patient. I didn't need it right now. And so I waited through the night and this morning I looked at my phone and sure enough, they got back to me and said, okay, there was a problem on, on, on our side, or I think they were saying it was maybe open node side because they're using open node for all this. Um, and, but they got it cleared up and I immediately got an email with my product key and now I can do one button upgrades on my node. And it is in fact, I've got, I'm going to see if they're still doing it. Yeah. BTC pay server is still installing and my dojo is still installing, but now I have access to VPN and tour services. I have access to the new ride the lightning, uh, uh, oh God, the interface. Slick looks really, really good. 
Uh, I've got uh, access to Whirlpool and I've got access to mempool.space, uh, the mempool viewer. It's not active yet. I don't know why, but I think maybe it needs to finish installing BTC Pay Server and Dojo. And out of the two, I should probably be excited about Dojo, but I'm actually more excited about BTC Pay Server being on this node. I'm super excited about that. I can't wait to get into this. Uh, but I'm going to have to wait some more because it is actually still in the uh, installing state. I don't know how long it takes, but my hash rate or my node's hash rate has us at 118.6 exahashes uh, per second. The mempool is, as you can imagine, a little bit full. We're uh, at 36 megabytes representing 25,195 unconfirmed transactions. The All the last 10 blocks are all full. Yep. They're, well, I mean, full insofar being 99.8% full. If that's not full for you, well, I don't know what to do with you. But Clark Moody, uh, he's got information on Lightning Network for us, and that's bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. Lightning Network stuff. This is showing almost 900 BTC in total capacity at the time, which is valued at $5.45 million. We have 6,552 nodes and a total of 36,171 channels. Now the Tor capacity on all this is 363 BTC, and that represents 40.4% of the BTC capacity, and the number of Tor nodes is approaching 2,000. We're at 1,907. So that's gonna, is that gonna, yeah, that's gonna do it for everything. So there's your vital statistics. Hey, Carlos, did Bitcoin die today? No, no, no. Oh, thank God. Thank God. The Daily Hodel staff is writing for the Daily Hodel here in your part two of the morning roundup. Yes, sir. It's the snooze you can use. Mysterious Bitcoin analyst plan B reveals ties to billion dollar investment team explains controversial 100,000 BTC prediction. This was written sometime yesterday. Morgan Creek Digital's Anthony Pompliano has released the latest episode of Off the Chain Podcast, a deep dive with the mysterious Bitcoin analyst known as Plan B. The pseudonymous strategist says he's a Dutchman in his mid-40s and a member of an institutional investment team that manages roughly $100 billion in assets. He has amassed a big following on Twitter by popularizing the use of the stock-to-flow model, or S2F, to predict the volatile price movements of Bitcoin. Heading into Bitcoin's halving event in May, which will limit the supply of new BTC, Plan B says the stock-to-flow model shows that Bitcoin is right on track to hit 100,000 by 2021, despite its epic roller coaster ride, its chorus of detractors, and plenty of skepticism regarding its ability to become a bona fide safe haven asset. Plan B, who says his full-time job leaves evenings and weekends open for tweeting, holds an economics degree in quantitative finance and a law degree. I am lawyer. While working in banking during the dot-com boom, he saw the bubble burst firsthand. He also reveals that he and his colleagues who worked in banking back in 2008 and were close to the fire were not completely surprised by the systemic failure that led to the global financial crisis. Quote, what was a surprise was that the central banks, what the central banks did after that, the quantitative easing that started 
and the very low and even negative interest rates in Europe. I experienced that from my job on a day-to-day basis, but it also made me question the system. And it also made me look for hedges and alternatives, plan Bs, if you will, for the assets that we had on the balance sheet. That's how I came across Bitcoin, end quote. Plan B says he turned turned to Twitter for information on crypto after making his first BTC investment in 2015. Oh, hey, I'm in the same class as Plan B. Nice. I mean, good company. He now says that his colleagues at the company are also holding Bitcoin, although they have not invested in it for their institutional clients. Quote, 99 or 90% of my colleagues have Bitcoin, especially the quants, but also the investors themselves. But there's a big difference between investing your own money and investing someone else's money, which is basically what we do professionally. If you manage somebody's pension money, Bitcoin is not the first thing maybe you think about, although I think there could be a very nice fit. (coughs) Corona. But the main classic asset that we invest in for pension money is, of course, fixed income assets like bonds, mortgages, consumer loans, everything with interest that you need for paying the pension, end quote. Since Bitcoin doesn't necessarily fit into the current regulatory capital framework, Plan B says he remains anonymous so that his Bitcoin hobby won't have negative impacts on his employer. In the meantime, he says he's comfortable being a bridge between the exotic world of Bitcoin and the status quo, quote, I think it's a matter of time before you see the first banks and pension companies that have a balance sheet that invest other people's money to go into Bitcoin. But I do think that the first and the more easy candidates before pensions will be funds, end quote. Plan B says that today's narratives about Bitcoin are primarily negative, shaped by big financial news outlets like Bloomberg. Instead of holding the Bitcoin is for criminals position, He says he tells his colleagues that Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset, not a safe haven asset, which is better in his view because it can go up no matter what. Or it could come flying its ass down like we saw over the last couple of days. But have no fear, people. I'm sure we've been here. If you're new, you haven't been here before. Just ask the people that have been here before. I've been here so many times, I, I don't even feel it anymore. It's weird sort of like uh what's his face from the matrix he's like i don't even see the code anymore i just see blonde brunette redhead I mean, it's sort of like that for me but continuing by applying the stock to flow model familiar in the gold community to bitcoin he says he's trying to shape the asset and the investment view in terms that institutional investors are familiar with he says that the model has been replicated and checked by others <coughs> Corona. Confirming its accuracy, quote, stock to flow is an attempt to quantify the digital scarcity invention that Satoshi made. Why does stock to flow work? Because it measures scarcity directly, like gold. The scarcer something is, the more valuable it should be. Another reason it works so well could be the network effects we talk about a lot with Bitcoin, that more and more developers started working on Bitcoin and more and more merchants started buying stuff and selling stuff with Bitcoin and the number of investors keeps increasing, In quote. Plan B says that there are more exchanges, more on-ramps, more derivatives, options, futures, and these markets, market developments are being reflected in the model. Quote, it could be that the stock to flow is quantifying the underlying network effects in Bitcoin, but another reason is quantitative easing. The central banks have printed trillions of dollars since the start of Bitcoin. That money is used for buying bonds. That helps states, of course, but it's also used for buying mortgages. It could be that a little bit of that money is somehow finding its way into Bitcoin and that Bitcoin measures the increase in money supply, if you will, 
of all those fiat currencies. I've tweeted once that as long as the central banks keep printing, the Bitcoin keeps rising. There could be some truth in that too. Maybe a fourth point is why does stock to flow work? It only works if you have hodlers. It means there are people who really believe in Bitcoin no matter what sometimes. Wait, that's a bad sentence. No matter what, comma, sometimes, period. Okay. They stick to it. They keep the Bitcoin through crashes and they're the real hodlers. You need the hodlers to create a high stock to flow value. Of course, it's like companies that prefer very loyal shareholders in quote, regarding the coronavirus or any other disruptive event that could prevent people from moving freely and showing up at the office. Plan B pinpoints the Achilles heel of the current financial system, a dependency on central banks, swift commercial banks and ATMs to keep operations running quote, So there is a whole network of companies and peoples and costs as well related to the current financial system. I guess in a situation like that war pandemic, it doesn't matter what happens. Bitcoin will relay transactions. It will keep working even if all the nodes on earth are gone because there are also nodes in space. Uh, Not quite, guy, not quite. They're satellites with all the Bitcoin transactions that can relay transactions. If you ask me, I think Bitcoin is made for a situation like that, end quote, and that's going to do it for the story. I I may be wrong, and it may be very well be plan B that is correct, but I do not think that there is an actual, well, okay, I have heard that there is an actual node somewhere in space, but I don't think it's on the Blockstream satellites, because essentially the satellites that are in space, A, are not owned by Blockstream. They are they are owned by somebody else. Blockstream is just leasing the relay capacity of a couple of the frequencies that whatever is on those on those satellites. Um, but they did not go up and 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 I, I guarantee you that they did not shoot the entire blockchain to the physical satellite and that it there's a node up there kind of chilling out in the Blockstream satellite. I do believe that uh, Plan B has this wrong, but honestly, it doesn't. It's it doesn't mean anything. It's it's okay. It's just do your own research, when, especially when you're talking about what these satellites actually do. Okay, before you start going, oh well, we don't need any of this stuff because we've got satellites. Ah, it's not that simple. It's a, it, it really isn't. It's not that simple. It's never going to be that simple. And thank God, because at least at this point, a menagerie of all kinds of stuff going on at least gives us uh, workarounds and route arounds when things do fail. Okay. But uh, the end all be all dependence on the Blockstream satellite is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Don't do it. That's just my advice. My advice is also to stay away from shitcoinery, as you know. Why? Well, Chainlink suffers devastating correction. Here's why. Christine Vasileva is writing this for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. And before I even read this, I'll tell you here's why. Because nobody can move anything without Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the thing that gives everybody permission to go up. It's the thing that gives everybody permission to go sideways. It's the thing that gives everybody permission to go down. You will not pass. If you are a shitcoin, you will get your on your knees and you will beg Bitcoin to show you which way to go. You are not going there by yourself. 
that's why I don't care about any of this stuff. But we might as well go ahead and read about the devastation here. Link broke down tentatively under $4 in the past day and initially showed just a slight pause in its climb. But in the past day, the price unraveled rapidly, both in dollar and BTC terms, of course. The 11th largest crypto sank toward $3.19 and fell from above 50,000 Satoshi toward 32,000 Satoshi. The flash crash followed days of extreme enthusiasm, but the price slide was also extremely sleep. Link erased more than 20% of its price in the past day and is down more than 30% on a weekly basis, essentially following the general decline in crypto assets. I'm, I apologize, but okay, just, just continue, man. The losses deepened as trading progressed on Thursday, extending the loss to above 21%. Link threatens now to drop below the $3 mark. I hope it drops to zero personally, but because screw them. The worst part of the Link crash is that for a few days, the asset was used to offset the decline in Bitcoin. But despite the market-defying properties of Link, those price peaks are an anomaly. Altcoins have always shown greater volatility, and Link is no exception. Going through boom and bust cycles, uh, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> this time, Link also revealed that the latest rally was not sustainable and once again resembled a pump and dump episode. Link, true liquidity was also much lower, leading to immediate slippage once the selling started. Reported volumes during the sell-off reached $582 million U.S., though liquidity, as measured by coin market cap, was just $520 million U.S. on Binance. No, $520,000. Liquidity, as measured by coin market cap, was just 520,000 USD on Binance. The Chainlink asset also relies on future markets where the recent spike may have led to shorting. Link was viewed as one of the potential stars in the altcoin market, possibly going for a much higher valuation. But after sinking closer to $3 with no end of selling inside its peak, maybe $4 in hindsight, it was also one of the few assets that have made net gains since 2017, seemingly untouched by the altcoin bear market. But now, after the BTC rally was cut short, the asset is also facing a deeper correction. The Link rally followed several other altcoins selected for their somewhat higher liquidity. However, the latest correction was not the sole loss of the market. Previously booming altcoins like Tezos marked similar losses of close to 20%. Okay, let's just go in directly into the Ethereum one. Ethereum transactions take 44 minutes to clear amid market chaos. Christine Vasileva, also writing for Bitcoinist.com, says, When? Sometime this morning. Rushing to send coins to exchanges and DeFi platforms has caused the Ethereum network to become heavily congested. High gas prices mean new transactions now have to wait up to 44 minutes to be confirmed. The recent market crash was also a stress test for networks as immediately transaction activity picked up. The Ethereum network was the first to show a significant backlog, essentially clogging transactions for close to an hour. For anyone attempting to sell coins, the transaction may be either very expensive or stall until prices correct even more. Shang Peng CZ Zhao also noted the worsened network conditions. He has a tweet here that says ETH network congestion, average time for confirmations, 2,680 seconds or 44 minutes. While the ETH gas price is not exorbitant, it still requires 29 cents to get the transaction into a block sooner. USDT transactions are also affected 
as nearly 2.9 billion stablecoins are only movable through the Ethereum network. This means shifts between exchanges will also become slower. In the meantime, Ethereum prices unraveled to $138.12 on rapid selling, caused a, causing a series of liquidations of DeFi derivative trading and collateralized debt. A slower network means potential problems for some of the participants as they have little time before the collateral is liquidated. Fast action is required for projects like Maker, and with a congested network, this may not be possible for all traders. Get out. Get. God, should I buy this stuff? No, no, no. No, Carlos, no. The sudden rapid price unraveling has not affected the Bitcoin mempool that rapidly. But for Ethereum, the network shows it is both instrumental to the crypto ecosystem, but also a source of failure. Failure, bro. Failure. Uh, do I got anything for that one? Nope, I ain't got nothing for that. The Ethereum network has congested during booming periods as well or during high-level usage of one game or contract. But this time, the network reacted to market conditions with potential repercussions and liquidations. Some of the Ethereum transactions are also outright panic selling, with coins noted going directly to exchanges for liquidation. It is uncertain how far the unraveling would go as the world markets react across the board. But for Ethereum, the recent rally above 200 may have been a temporary fluke as gains were easily erased by selling. The crypto market may not be all done with the price drops and the Ethereum ecosystem is especially vulnerable. Currently, decentralized exchanges and collateralized lending schemes, which rely entirely on smart contracts, will show if they can absorb sudden increased activity. Cautiously, the price of multi-collateral DAI, or DAI, has retained its $1 peg. DAI remains a point of weakness, as it has absorbed significant ETH reserves. Just before the crash, Ethereum also got a boost from increased holding, holding behavior, though the new price dip may cause some whales to liquidate. Yeah, you know who else is going to liquidate? All those ICOs that took your ETH. They are probably in a state right now where if they aren't doing so already... Uh, are and I don't know, but if they had take if an ICO had said we need this many ETH and then bag holders decided to open up their bags of garbage and and shovel out some garbage to these guys, they were depending on that ETH holding its price fairly stable. So they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for it to go up, and then all this shit happens. You know, the, we got Black Swan event with, with coronavirus. Some people aren't calling it Black Swan, but does it matter? I mean, did we see it coming? Not really. I mean, once it, it started, then you can say, well, I knew how bad it was going to get. But the day before anybody heard of coronavirus, you probably weren't thinking coronavirus <clears throat> in either event. If these guys have to pull the plug on their holdings of ETH, that's when you'll see ETH decouple directly from the rest of the market. Because remember, ETH was one of the very first shit coins along, after, after Bitcoin came up. And then it turned into a shit coin casino manufacturing factory, right? So now you've got all this ETH that all these people are banking on holding its value so that they can stay afloat. Or at least so that they can at least have this vision of where they could be in the future. But if they have to start making payroll, if they have to start actually paying, you know, like, I don't know, having to come up with, with rent and they have been 
relying on on ether maybe they've been in DeFi. maybe they've been loaning out their shit and their interest rates you know interest is paying their rent on their five you know where they have their five developers you know hastily hacking away on keyboards to make a better future for all of us no if they decide to pull the plug and sell to go into fiat to be liquid so that they can do shit like pay their bills then you'll see Ethereum decouple from the rest of the market faster than a duck in winter, man. It'll go south, and it's going to go south hard if that occurs. I'm actually surprised that I haven't seen anything other than Ethereum mapping the same trajectory down that Bitcoin, which is what I said earlier. You bend the knee. If you're a shitcoin, you bend the knee to Bitcoin, and you ask permission and what direction it can go. I'm I'm sorry, I'm shitcoin X, and dear Bitcoin, please tell me, should I go up? No, you will go down. Okay, can I? Yes, you may. That's about all Bitcoin has to say to any of these things. If you look at all, you could just make a, a compendium of like a, an overlay of all of the charts of all of the shitcoins, and they'll just end up looking just like the Bitcoin chart. Why anybody thinks any of these coins are different is beyond my rec. I cannot do it. I can't see it. I can't see what you guys are looking at. All this is is just another shit coin. It has to ask permission from Bitcoin to do anything. Why would you hold it? All right. So I don't know, man. It's just it's a bad it's a it's a bad thing for everybody. But honestly, if if we get out of this with like maybe you know i don't know a complete dis- destruction of like half of the shitcoin casino i'd be really happy uh now here here's one the weak get weaker libra members hedge their bets by joining a rival stablecoin project so libra isn't even a thing and you've already got the fork mentality occurring uh some of the biggest names in Facebook's in Battle Libra Association have joined a viral, a rival stablecoin project, which touts its mission as a promotion of financial inclusion using the blockchain. This is Marie Juliet writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Dubbed the Cello Alliance for Prosperity, the project was unveiled on March the 11th with key Libra backers, Coinbase Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz, Anchorage Mercy Corps, and Bison Trails Company joining the ranks of its 50 founding members. The combined reach of the Alliance members at launch is ostensibly estimated at 400 million people. Aside from veterans of the Libra Association, high-profile members of the Cello Alliance include Carbon, Give Directly, Garmin Foundation, Maple, and Polychain Capital. Behind the newly launched alliance is the nonprofit Cello Foundation, founded in 2017, which has been developing an open source smart contract platform that supports a family of ERC20 shitcoin based stablecoins, enabling users to interface with the network using a smartphone. The project envisions offering faster and more affordable remittances, providing payments and micro lending services, and reduced operational complexities in humanitarian aid delivery. Uh. Apparently, they are going to sing Kumbaya. That's par for the course for Ethereum. Oh, well. To achieve this, the foundation has designed a decentralized network structure in three parts. This comprises the Cello block, or Cello, or Cello, however you pronounce it. It's C-E-L-O. 
the Celo blockchain, a set of smart contracts dubbed Celo core contracts, and a decentralized application layer supporting products such as the Celo wallet or offerings from third-party developers. <coughs> Sorry about that, guys, but whew, allerg between allergies and this coronavirus, I'm probably not going to survive the show. The code of the Celo blockchain has, in the foundation's word, a shared ancestry with Ethereum. It inherits, uh, inherits some of its key features, such as the Ethereum virtual machine, runtime environment, smart contract functionality, and the native unit of accounting, Celo Gold, the equivalent of Ether on its predecessor. From a technical perspective, Celo is a proof-of-stake blockchain that implements a Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus algorithm. Do I have to read the rest of this? Uh, the first stable coin of Celo's set of ERC-20 assets is the Celo dollar, pegged to the U.S. dollar and making use of decentralized version of the one-to-one -one issuance and redemption mechanisms of most fiat-backed stable coins. At the front-end level, this means that, quote, users create new Celo dollars by sending one U.S. dollar worth of Celo gold to the reserve or burn a Celo dollar by redeeming them for one U.S. dollar worth of Celo gold. The complexity here, well, that's actually not all that complex. It's just that when you, a blockchain in three parts, um, inheriting all this stuff from, from Ethereum, and, and, the, and the, now there's like the stablecoin shit. It's all like this all-in-one package. It's like managing a bag of cats. All right, dude, no. As Cointelegraph has reported, Libra continues to face regulatory setbacks and uncertainty. Uh, and then they go into why everything sucks about Libra. So already, Libra's not even out of the gate, not even close. We've already got an entire group of people that were all about Libra that is now all about a, a, a comparative shit chain. If, if Libra is the, is the gold standard for this kind of crap, then uh, the Celo network is its first shit chain fork. I don't know how I, I it's, it's fractals like the, the whole Fibonacci sequence. If you think about the Fibonacci sequence and the golden spiral, it's all the same. And, and the word fractal, it's all part of the same math of the universe. And we're seeing it at play right here. It was, it, of course they were going to fork or at least be on a path to something that was like, uh, we're really not sure about this. Maybe this one will be better. Sorry, guys. You're, you're just going to end up getting hosed all the way through it. Uh, and we'll, we'll end it today here with the Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel about a Washington man that faces eight counts and 20 years for running a BTC money laundering operation. So money laundering and BTC back in the news. This was done uh, sometime today. It's very short. Kenneth Warren Rule from Bothell, Washington, is charged with eight-count complaint after law enforcement officers allegedly caught him running a Bitcoin money laundering operation. Homeland Security investigators or investigations agents say they discovered Rule using the alias Cut 93 and advertising his unlicensed cryptocurrency trading business on a peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platform, Local Bitcoins. From April of 2018 to November of 2018, law enforcement officers met with a suspect in various Starbucks coffee shops in western Washington posing as criminals 
who needed to launder funds from money trafficking activities. The 26-year-old allegedly agreed to exchange the agent's Bitcoin for cash, despite the impression that the funds were from illicit activities. He also gave advice on how to hide the source of the funds and disregarded the know-your-customer requirements for money transmitters. According to a release from the United States Attorney General's Office for the Western District of Washington, Rule now faces multiple charges for operating an unlicensed money transmitting business and laundering of money instruments. He also faces a charge for operating an illegal marijuana products business. Quote, operating an unlicensed money transmitting business is punishable by up to five years in prison. Laundering money instruments is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Conspiracy to manufacture and distribute the amount of marijuana involved in this case is punishable by a mandatory five years in prison and up to 40 years in prison. So, yeah, they're just, honestly, I it's, I think they're just, you know, these guys are just using uh, their sting operations to, you know, get ammo to give Bitcoin a bad name so that they can continue the... <laughs> the whole uh, Bitcoin is for money laundering, tax evasion, uh, terrorist supporting, uh, child trafficking, and like, whatever. It's all bullshit. Uh, if you don't want to get in to this kind of thing, get caught by doing this kind of thing, honestly, just go do something else with your time. Buy your Bitcoin, hodl your Bitcoin, wait till we get out of this mess. But, you know, dude, if if this guy is actually laundering money, like if they actually came to him and said, hey, look, we've got illegal money that we got by doing X. We want you to take this illegal money that we got and turn it into legal money. It doesn't matter what they did. They are going to nail you to the wall. It doesn't matter if it's technically legal, technically illegal. It doesn't matter. They're going to put spikes through your wrist and nail you to a fucking tree. That's all that's going to happen there. So stay away from it. Stop doing that kind of shit and just buy, stack your, buy your Bitcoin, stack your sats, stay humble, do all the other things. Don't go to Starbucks and take money from strangers. Eh, it's just going to get you in trouble every time. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wreck brought to you by Roger Caver, who says the end game for Bitcoin hodlers is selling their coins at a higher price for more fiat. The end game for Bitcoin Cash users is to replace the entire financial system so that fiat is irrelevant. Not at all, bro. That's a bad take, man. That's a bad take. I'm just going to leave that smoldering pile right there. And let's go ahead and, and jump straight on over into a worthy dad joke. Dad says, joke says, my wife always wanted a son with a foreign sounding name. So after she gave birth, she decided on Mark, but with a C. I just went now to register his name. I am so excited on my way home to see little baby Kark. Get it? Kark. C-A-R-K. It got me. I have to admit, dad got me with this one. Uh, I was wondering how it was going to end up. And then when I saw the punchline, it I stumbled over it like twice before I'm like, oh, God, that's just so bad. So bad.
the whole, but that matches with the entire market sector right now. It's pretty awful out there. Um, you know, if you wanted to let's see, where are we at right now? I'm getting a, a liquidated long on, uh, BX rec just sent me a liquidated long. Not, not, I, I don't, I don't do that. This is Twitter. I, I, I follow BX Rect and sometimes it's like a waterfall of liquidated longs. And yesterday, the day before, the day before that, and today has been no exception. But a lick long just came through at 61.15. So we're not out of this. And we're probably not going to be out of this for a while. In fact, uh, what happens if this coronavirus goes away during the summer and everybody gets complacent? And we will. And it ain't just Americans. It's going to be the entire world is going to get complacent. And then it'd be, oh yeah, I forgot. Virus cycles happen every t- in, in a two-year cycle. And we'll figure that out when fall comes around and we have the second wave of this shit, of coronavirus. Summer will probably really knock it. You know, will will probably really knock it back. But I expect that after all this is said and done, we'll get into summer. Everything will go back to normal, and we'll you know markets will start to barely recover. Maybe if this doesn't, this may unlock the kraken. I don't know. I mean, I don't see how it can't. But they have shown time and time again that world markets are able to kick that can. So far down the road, it's like the road just never ends or something like that. But let's say that they are able to stabilize and they surprise all of us Bitcoiners by somehow or another kicking the can down the road. Well, then you get into fall. And if you have a resurgence of this, it could, it could potentially be worse. It may be better uh, simply because viruses, when they uh, start mutating, they have a tendency to not be as bad. Uh, because the virus itself is in, in an environmental pressure to not kill its host and those that have a mutation that allow the least lethality and the most amount of virus shedding that can perpetuate the species of the virus itself is going to win out. But we don't know. See, that's the, the whole problem. I'm just saying, even when we hit summer and this shit goes away, keep it in the back of your mind. What happens next time? And be prepared prepared for that. Uh, after that, man, I got nothing. So I will see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.